So the reading today is from 1 John, chapter 3, and verses 11 to 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, please uh, keep that open. Uh, We'll be referring to that as we talk, but let's uh, pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. Uh, Lord, as we read these verses and as we listen to them being spoken on now, Lord, we pray that you would be speaking to our hearts, encouraging us uh, and helping us to see how we can best uh, live our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a new year, as you know, 2023, and we meet this morning on the first morning of this new year. And while, of course, the end of one year and the beginning of another is really just a day in the calendar, uh, much the same as any other day, really, the ending of one year uh, and the beginning of the next does often cause us to think about what might lie ahead uh, in the year to come. What's going to happen in 2023? Well, perhaps for you there's lots of things to be excited about. Maybe uh, babies, weddings, new jobs, starting university, all sorts of things perhaps to look forward to. Maybe for others, though, there are lots of things to dread in the coming year. And think, how on earth am I going to get through this or that problem or manage that situation? Well, as we begin 2023 this morning, I want, to think, want us to think about our churches, the year ahead for our church. Obviously, I'm thinking mainly about Whittlesea Baptist Church, as that's where I live and that's where we are this morning. But I know that there's also some visitors here this morning as well. So in your, in your case, put yourself back in your home church just for a few moments as this message equally applies to your church situation as well. Because I want us to think about what John, the Apostle John, who wrote this letter that we just read from, I want us to think uh, about what he would say to our church, to our churches at the beginning of this new year. If instead of me standing up here on the platform, John was stood here, what do you think that he would say to us to focus on for the coming year ahead? Well, I think he would say something like verse 11 of chapter 3 that we just read. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
In fact, I don't think he would just say it this year. I think he would probably say the same thing every year. Love one another just as you've been taught from the beginning. Or in slightly different words, as I've called this morning's sermon, love your church. Wherever you're from this morning, here in Whittlesea or from other churches, John would say to all of us who are Christians this morning, love your church. Now, in the, in the Bible, there are various different metaphors used to describe and to picture the local church. One, for example, in Romans 12, uh, Paul uses uh, the term body, a body made up of lots of different parts, limbs, head, legs, organs, etc., uh, to picture just how the church is made up from lots of different people but forms one body. Another is a building, each person being the bricks or the stones the building is made up from, laid up on the foundation of the apostles' teaching and with Jesus as the cornerstone, holding it all together. But here, John uses the illustration of family. If you look at the verses we just read, and he he does it elsewhere too in his letter, he repeatedly uses the word brother or brothers. Here, John uses this illustration of family. You see, in John's mind, the local church is a family, very much a family, a family that he was part of and a family that every other Christian that he knew was also part of. So John is saying, love one another, love these other Christians like they are your family. Now, there's an old saying, isn't there, you've probably heard, uh, which is often rolled out at this time of year, which says, you choose your friends, uh, but you don't get to choose your family. It's, of course, true, in a sense, isn't it? You don't get to choose your family, and very often, though, people will say it because uh, they don't really want to spend time with their family, uh, because they don't like them very much. It's odd, isn't it? In films uh, and in books, families are often portrayed uh, as a particular ideal, where everyone loves spending time together, Uh, There's lots of laughter, lots of fun. Uh, And sometimes, obviously, families are like that. Uh, But the reality is that often families are difficult. uh, And that might well be your experience here this morning. And difficult for all sorts of different reasons. But it does still seem to be the case that even if relationships in families are strained, you often find that there's still a bond between those family members. Deep down, they still care for each other when something happens. Family will often, therefore, be the first uh, to reach out and to help or to to celebrate. Deep down, there's often that real love for each other, a real desire to help and protect other members of the family, a desire to reach out uh, and help and provide what's in what where there's a need. And it's this aspect that John is using as he writes this letter. John wants churches to be like families, where each member is valued and welcomed for who they are, even those people who are not necessarily those who you would choose to spend time with or be friends with. John wants churches to be places where those who are blessed share with those who have need, where those who are joyful encourage those who are struggling. Over and above all, he says that church should be a place where love is demonstrated every time that we're together. John says in verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
Now I should note here that when John uses that term brothers, he's not being sexist. Remember he's writing almost 2,000 years ago and in the context of society at that time, that's just how they talked. I'm sure if he'd been writing today, he would have said brothers and sisters because clearly both then and now churches are communities of Christians uh, like we are here this morning, made up of both males and females. So please, at least have in your mind, when John refers to brothers, think sisters and brothers equally. Local churches made up of brothers and sisters in Christ, each caring for one another. And note also that it's John's assumption that every Christian will be part of a local church of some sort. And indeed, it's the assumption all the way through the New Testament. In the early church, when someone became a Christian, they would join a church. And they would do it because they wanted to, because they knew that it was good for them. And it's the same for all of us here today. You need to be part of a church to successfully navigate your way through life without some sort of backup is very difficult. That's why families are there to help and step in when needed. And it's the same in church life. To keep going, we need one another's support. The church community is God's way of giving us that support. So John's instruction uh, this morning from these verses that we're looking at to the church family, to all church families, is pretty simple. Love one another. Love your church family. Focus on this in the coming year and in future years on loving one another. I also want to emphasise that this isn't just teaching that John has pulled out of his own mind. This isn't really his idea. It's teaching that's rooted in what Jesus taught. Remember John, the apostle, spent three years living day in, day out with Jesus. And that same message was core to what Jesus taught to his disciples. John 13, verse 34 and 35 say, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are, also, you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus is saying, look, all of you disciples, you must love one another in the same way that I love you. And if you do this, the whole world will see and it will make a difference to that relationship that make the difference that that relationship with me makes. And this is true today as well. If we know Jesus, if we are his disciples, when the world looks out, from the world outside, looks into this church through the doors, what should they see? They should see love being displayed to one another. Love that's just like the love that Jesus shows to us. And when they see that, they should be taken, back, taken aback by it. It should be startling in its obviousness, in its sincerity. Something that's not really experienced in the same way elsewhere. And when they see it, it should be clear that it's like this because we're disciples of Jesus. Like this because God is at work and making it so. But what does that love look like? What does it look like on a practical level? What differences should we expect to see if God is truly working amongst us? How are we to find that ability to love? Because loving like Jesus is hard. 
It will be costly. It costs Jesus his life. And anyway, as you look around the church, you may also be thinking, why on earth would I lay down my life for these people? I don't even like them very much. Well, John gives us three pointers in these verses. Two examples, one negative and one positive, but then also more than just examples. In these verses, if we look closely, we'll also see where we're to find the resources uh, to enable us to love one another, to enable us to love like Jesus, to love our churches like Jesus loves our churches. So let's look first uh, at a negative example. First of all, He says, John says, do not be like Cain. Verse 12 says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Well, I guess you could say this morning, that's a pretty obvious statement, isn't it? You should not go around murdering our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not murder our fellow church members. That's pretty clear. But John's making a point here. And to do it, he takes two very extreme examples. The example of Cain here, and then in verse 16, uh, which we'll come to in a minute, the example of Jesus. And he's making a point because he wants us to sit up and take notice. It's unlikely that anyone sat here this morning has any plans to murder anyone. I at least hope that's true. But if we look at the story of Cain and his brother Abel, and at what's going on behind the scenes in that relationship, we'll be able to see emotions that we can recognise in ourselves. Now, in case you don't know the events, I'll just summarise what happened. The story of Cain murdering his brother Abel takes place right at the beginning of the Bible, right at the beginning of time. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 4, and therefore takes place after the fall, after Adam and Eve have sinned for the first time. So at this point, sin was already present in the world, and as we'll see, its effects were immediately becoming obvious. Cain was the first recorded child of Adam and Eve, and Abel, his brother, was the second. And they both grew up, and they both became farmers. The Bible tells us that Abel looked after animals, and Cain looked after the fields. And when the time came for them to offer sacrifices to God, as presumably God had instructed them to do, Abel's offering was acceptable to God, but Cain's was not. Genesis 4, verse 4 says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And then in the following verses, they give us a bit of an indication as to why this was. Verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Something had clearly gone wrong with Cain's attitude, his approach to God. He must have brought his offering without God, without giving God the respect due to him. Maybe because he had brought the wrong thing. Maybe he was just a bit too slapdash in his attitude about what he was doing. Whatever it was, God's rejection of his offering exposed that underlying wrong attitude because, as a result, he was angry with God. And as we'll see later, he was jealous of his brother. 
Hebrews 11, verse 4, sheds a bit more light on the reasons. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. This verse tells us that Abel brought his gifts in faith. Faith that understood his position as a sinner before a holy God. And therefore, by implication, faith that was lacking in Cain. And so the story goes, as a result of this anger, Genesis 4 verse 8 says, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The first two brothers in history fighting and one being killed as a result. What essentially was at the root of this evil act? Well, to put it simply, it was sin. Sin that is also present in all of us. You may well think to yourself this morning, I could not murder someone. Of course, I couldn't do that. Well, I guess Cain probably said the same thing before it happened. John tells us back in his letter that the reason for this murder was jealousy. He says, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And which of us here doesn't struggle with jealousy? So I would simply say, do not underestimate the power of sin that's still within you. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. And John said something similar. Do not be like Cain. Do not let sin get the better of you. There's no place for it in church. That is not how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he brings the point home more clearly in verse 15. Teaching that's very clearly, again, based on teaching that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount this time. John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He says, hating someone is just as bad as killing them. Jesus is clearer still, recorded in Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, can any of us here say that we've never been angry with someone in the church? Can anyone say that they've never insulted someone in the church? Well, Jesus says this brings you under as much judgment as the one who murders. There's no place for this in the church. There's no place for anger, for insults, for jealousy, for animosity, for envy, for impatience in the church. There's no place for these because they do not show love. Jesus says, love, John says, love one another, love your church. Love is to be the overriding thing in all of our emotions, all of our actions and reactions. Well, doesn't this just bring us straight back to the cross of Jesus? How we need the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives, in our church lives. Because we all know that in church we often fail. In church life, often these things are present. We've seen them with our own eyes. We know because we recognise these feelings as sins in ourselves. The reality is that we're a group of Christians, yes, but we're a group of Christians, every one of whom 
still struggles with sin in their lives in various forms, and sometimes that shows. We're a group of Christians who need to rely every hour of every day on the forgiveness that was bought for us by Jesus on the cross. Often we are ashamed to admit it like Cain. But we also know, don't we, that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross covers, us all, covers all our sins. And as a result, God doesn't treat us as we deserve. And that knowledge powers us to bear with one another in love when sin does come to the fore. So the first thing that John says is, do not be like Cain. But then in verse 16, he gives a second example, another, as I said, extreme example, this time extreme in the positive. And it's the example of Jesus. Do not be like Cain, but do be like Jesus. Verse 16 says, by this we know love, that he, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John is saying, be like Jesus, because he provides the perfect example of everything to do with love, everything to do with his instruction to love one another. Let's just think about that example just for a moment. What did did Jesus do? Well, first remember that Jesus is God and always has been God. So he lived with the Father in heaven before the world began. But he gave up heaven for a time to come and live here on the earth, the earth that he had created, the earth that he had created perfect. But he gave up that heaven. And now, uh, now at the point of uh, him coming from heaven onto this earth, this earth was full of sin and the effects of sin. So it's hard to imagine, really, quite what that cost Jesus, leaving all the splendour of heaven on the one hand, the perfection of heaven, where he's treated as king, and he exchanged that to come into a sinful world, where he was rejected, rejected as a fool. Can you imagine the king of England leaving his palace to live on the streets of London as a tramp for 30 years? I don't think he would do it. And that's not nearly as extreme as what Jesus did in leaving heaven. But more than that, more than that, he left heaven but also chose to enter earth as a human being. He didn't even come as God, or at least in a form that he was immediately recognisable as God. Instead, he came as a baby, not born in a palace, but born in a stable, not born to a wealthy family even, but simply as the son of a carpenter. Remember again that Jesus is God. It was there at the beginning of time, and all the things in the world were created and made through him. So the creator became the created. Philippians 2, verse 6 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. But then again, more, more than that again, not only did he choose to leave heaven, not only did he choose to come as a human being, but he also chose to die. The one described by John in chapter one of this letter simply as the life, the one who gives life to everything that has life, He chose to lay down his life so that we might live in relationship with God. 
John says in verse 16 that he laid down his life for us. Is there anything more remarkable than that? So remarkable that, quite honestly, it's hard to believe that it's true. But it is true. Of course it's true. And it demonstrates the most extraordinary gift you could ever imagine. A gift that truly is sacrificial. Jesus gave up everything. Jesus is the most complete demonstration of genuine love. Genuine love that's sacrificial and costly. Genuine love simply given as a gift. That famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God the Father gave his Son. God the Son, Jesus, laid down his life for us. These are gifts. He didn't have to do it. There was no one forcing them to do it. They simply did it because of their love. So what should our response to this be? Well, John says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We should respond by giving our lives in the service of one another. This is what the church should be like. It should be full of people giving, giving time, giving effort, giving money, giving whatever is needed and giving sacrificially, giving in a way that expects nothing in return. In other words, giving like Jesus. You know that phrase, one another, that John uses in verse 11 is actually a phrase that's used in many places uh, in the Bible. It's a phrase that's talking about person-to-person relationships in the church. And about a year ago, I read a book uh, by an author named Tony Mereda, who's uh, an American pastor. And the book was called Love Your Church, which, incidentally, I stole as uh, the title for this morning's sermon. Uh, i put a picture of it on the screen. Uh, it's a great book. I'd thoroughly recommend you buy it and read it. Uh, and it's a very Bible-focused view of what church is. And it's an easy read. So I recommend it. Now, in chapter 3 of that book, he gives a simple list of various one another passages in the New Testament to illustrate the importance that the Bible places on caring for brothers and sisters in the church. The importance of loving your church. Well, having them listed, as I read it, was really powerful. It really struck a chord in me as I looked through them. So I want to do something similar this morning because I think it answers this question about what loving your church like Jesus would involve. So I'll put them on the screen and I'm simply going to read through them. I'll put the references on there as well because I think it's quite powerful. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Instruct one another through love. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing with one another in love. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Do not lie to one another. Encourage one another. Always seek to do good to do one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Close your, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. You know, all of these things 
are what John is talking about. And there are other additional ones as well. I've skipped in the interest of time. If you did a search for that phrase, one another, you'd find about 40 or 50 uh, in the Bible. So when John says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, when he says, love indeed and in truth, these are the kinds of things that he had in mind. Don't be like Cain, but do be like Jesus. Well, that brings us to a difficult question. Because being like Jesus is obviously a very difficult thing to do. Looking at what Jesus did in laying down his life, looking at that list of verses uh, and the instructions contained within them, it's clear that loving one another involves effort and sacrifice and will be very hard. And if we're honest, when we look around the church, when we look at ourselves, we discover also that often we're not very lovable. Very often we do things and say things that are likely to cause people to dislike and even to hate us rather than love us. So this brings up this question of how is this even possible to do? What John is asking, what Jesus demonstrates, seems like an impossible task. I think that probably is the main point of what John is trying to do here. Probably the main point in John using the example of Jesus is to make it seem completely out of reach. And his reason for doing this is he does not want you to rely on your own strength to achieve it. Instead, he wants to drive you to Jesus, to drive you to rely on God's strength to do it. When we read passages like this, our temptation is always to say, I must do better. Maybe particularly at the beginning of a year, as Mark was saying earlier, it's tempting to see the example of Jesus and make a New Year's resolution that simply says, I must do better at loving my church, my fellow church members. But like 99% of New Year's resolutions, if we take that attitude, then it will be broken before the 2nd of January. So don't be tempted. Don't be tempted to turn this into a New Year's resolution. That is not what John would have us do. Instead, make the source of your love for the church God's love for you. Do not do be like Jesus, but do that by relying on God's love working in you. Because I think that is what John is pointing us towards here. Let me show you that. First, we see that John wants us to turn to God for forgiveness. The theme of forgiveness uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus is scattered all the way through John's letter, but it's hinted at here in verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's referring to the sacrifice that Jesus made, which makes forgiveness possible. And forgiveness is needed because Um, I'm sure as we look at that example of Jesus, we feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because you know that you are not like that. I know that I am not like that. I desperately need forgiveness. You desperately need forgiveness. And I think to enable us to demonstrate love to one another, this is probably the most important thing of all. Because if you haven't experienced forgiveness of your own sin and inadequacy, you will never love like Jesus loves. So please, make that the first priority uh, this morning. Rely on God's work by relying primarily 
on his forgiveness for you. But then once you've truly experienced forgiveness for your own sin, then second, fill yourself with knowledge and understanding of what God has done for you and what he has made you. John points out some interesting things in these verses. Verse 10 of the chapter, uh, of this chapter, he says, if you are a Christian, you are a child of God. He says, by this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Then in verse 14, he says that you've passed from death to life. We know that we've passed from death out uh, out of death into life because we love the brothers. Verse 16, he says, you know personally what love is because you've experienced it. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then in verse 17, he indicates that for Christians, God's love lives in us. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So fill yourselves with these truths. Fill yourselves so that you know that you are a child of God, so that you know that you've been given new life, so that you know personally that love God has shown towards you, so that you know God lives in you, through his Holy Spirit, changing you from the inside out. John is interested in us knowing what has happened to us when we become Christians. And he's interested in this because he wants us to have confidence. Confidence in what we know to be true and confidence in how God has changed us through that truth. Because it's when we're confident that we're loved, confident that God's love is working and making a difference in our lives, It's then that we're enabled to love each other as we should. To love one another because we are loved by God. To love our church as Jesus loves the church. John makes this point even more clearly later on in his letter in chapter 4. Verse 16 he says, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. John is saying God is the source of of love, And if we live or abide in that love, if we fill ourselves up to the brim with that love, it will spill out into the lives of those around us. Verse 19 of chapter 4, he says this, We love because he first loved us. Helping us to see that it's God, always God who initiates, always God who is the source of love, always God's strength and never our strength, enabling us to truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So to have success in this impossible task of loving your brothers and sisters in the church, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't rely on yourself and your own strength because it will not work. Instead, rely on God's forgiveness for getting it wrong and rely on God's love for you. Fill yourself to the point of overflowing with the love that God has for you. And you will love your church. So what would the Apostle John, if he were standing up here on the platform this morning, what would he say to us? Well, I'll try and summarise what I think that he would say. I think he would start by saying, love your church. Wherever you are, whoever it's made up from, love the Christians your church is made up from, your brothers 
and sisters in Christ. Then he would say, do not be like Cain. Do not murder or hate or bear grudges or be angry or be envious. There's no place in the church for this kind of thing. And instead, be like Jesus. Lay down your life and give whatever is needed. Give time, give effort, give money, give not expecting anything in return. But don't do this in your own strength. Don't turn this into a New Year's resolution. Instead, rely on the love of God, the love of Jesus. Fill yourself so full with all that God has done for you so that you overflow that love into the lives of those around you. May I suggest that that is our challenge for 2023, our challenge for the year ahead as a church. As John puts it in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Let's pray and ask God for help as we do that. Our Father, we thank you for your word. As we read it, it's challenging. Lord, we thank you for that love that you've demonstrated to us in sending your Son. Lord, we pray that you would fill us so full of knowledge and understanding of forgiveness and how much you love us, that you would overflow our lives into those lives around us, helping us to love our churches, whether we're members here, whether we're visiting and members elsewhere. Lord, we pray that you would empower us to love our church. And we ask this for Jesus' sake, for his glory, and in his name. Amen.